your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? It's really, uh, it's really awful. <laughs> Welcome to Lutheran Stuff No Drama, the No Drama Podcast. I'm Pastor Hoffman, and with me as always is Zach Lesher. Say hello, Zach! Hey, everybody! So, how's it going today, man? It's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. It's really hot here, like at 90-some. Man, that's crazy. I'm, I'm in southern Oregon coast, so we're like, you know, 65, 70, so it's Actually, with a sea breeze, it's pretty, pretty awesome, I'm not going to lie. It sounds awesome. So, um, as we're coming in, by the way, we got a lot of really good positive feedback from our podcast, our 10th podcast last week. I'm really thankful for all of the encouragement and and also for the people that have suggestions and people that have um, uh, questions for the podcast and a little bit later in the show, Zach and I are going to talk a little bit about a question about contemporary worship. So we're going to touch on that for a little bit. But in order, in keeping with our, our current study, we're talking about Romans. And we begin in chapter 9 today. And we'll find that, like chapter 8, it is uh, about 30, what, 32, 33 verses long. And so we're going to we're going to break it down into like 1 through 13 and 14 through whatever. So we're going to break it down and talk a little bit about each section. Is that okay with you, man? That sounds great. Cool. Then I'll kick us off here with um chapter 9 and we'll go through uh verses 1 through 13. Um St. Paul writes, <coughs> Excuse me. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so... But also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, 
not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So, he gives a little start off here, and uh, before we get into the next section, which elaborates on it, um, we see here St. Paul pulling out, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an American evangelical nightmare. He starts to tell you, because your lineage is Jewish, don't expect that you're a-okay. That it isn't, it isn't your DNA, but it is the work of God that makes you adopted. Yeah, there is so much good stuff here in, in just that snippet of chapter 9. So, first of all, to the Arian, uh, verse, uh, where are we at? 5 here, uh, is Christ, who is God over all. That includes the atheists. He's God and judge, <laughs> too. Both Christian and atheist alike. So, yep. whether you like it or not, he's God over all. Yep. Um, and then, like you said, the nation state of Israel, Paul is, is plainly stating here, not everyone of Israel is Israel. It's of the promise. Yep. It's the evangelical sludge-hammering nightmare <laughs> right here. The ones it's, that so are... Israel... <laughs> Why don't why don't I toss it back to you so you can tell us how Israel and the church relate? Well, first of all, we have to deal with the sledgehammer because the truth of the matter is as many American evangelicals and well-meaning, I'm not saying they're not, I'm not ascribing intention, I never do that, but what I am saying is for those American evangelicals who love the modern state of Israel, and are spending millions upon millions of dollars trying to get them to build another temple to have sacrifices in, you are just making a huge mistake. And uh, you should be, uh, you should be, you know, stopped. Because it isn't, Christ is the last sacrifice necessary. And to me, it is a, you just really can't hate Jewish people more than if by purposely keeping them in ignorance. So, yeah, you're, they're, they're not getting in because of the lineage. And that's what Paul is saying. Yeah. That you're not getting in. It's So, I mean, not everybody from Israel is Israel. And what Paul is saying is Israel is the church. The typology of Israel is now the church. So, I mean, it's those of the promise, and that's the church. Right. Where and uh, The promises naturally come in the word and sacraments. Yeah, and, and he drew that out uh, from Christ, who is God over all, mm -hmm. Mr. Arius. Well, even Jesus takes Nicodemus to uh, task himself uh, in today's Trinity Sunday in the historic lectionary. And um, Jesus takes Nicodemus to task in being born again. Not being born an Israelite, but being born again through water and the Spirit, meaning baptism. So there is the promise right there. Not your DNA. So quit getting tested for Jewish DNA. Um, but really be on the lookout for the when, when Jesus makes you a promise. 
That's right. And um, uh, Paul here um, talks about the children of the flesh. You know, he's calling them children of the flesh. And when Paul uses flesh, he's talking about the sinful nature. These are people, apart from what you just said uh, from John 6, uh, or John 3, 6, sorry, uh, of water and spirit. You know, these yeah. are people that are not born again. Right. And so when we start, and again, otherwise we start getting into the nonsense of two covenants, and we just don't want to go there. <clears throat> There's one God overall, and he gives us each the same promise, and as a church, yet individually. And so... And even even promising, this is important, when Sarah was promised a son, we're saying that an old and barren couple, Abraham and Sarah, were promised a son, that there would be fruitfulness from something dead. Let's be honest, as far as reproduction goes, they were dead. And so that is the picture of the work of Christ for the church. Yes, if everybody recalls the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, the the one that is God, visited Sarah to, to give this news, and she actually scoffed and laughed. And God is standing there, the pre-incarnate Christ, he's like, uh, you say something? <laughs> Why is she <laughs> laughing? <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, you want to you, you say that to my face? You, you don't trust me on that? Well, I know, because again... You've asked something that's impossible for me to believe. And so he's like, I know, I do it all the time. That was a big... <laughs> that was a that's big, what I do, man. Um, that was a big part of my sermon today, was the mysteries that God gives us. The fact that they are mysterious doesn't, um, doesn't negate the fact that I, I am unable to fully comprehend them. But what I can comprehend is like what we read today is the promise associated with them, not the mechanics. And that's the thing. There's there's some things that we're not supposed to figure out, like the Trinity. Today is a perfect example. Uh, most faithful churches use the Athanasian Creed today, including uh, my congregation. And the the Trinity is just best described for who... And what the Trinity is versus trying to rationalize and internalize God. Right. Yeah, we're a, we're a Trinity plus Fifth Sundays Athanasian congregation. If there's a Fifth Sunday, we do the Athanasian Creed. And uh, we also do it on uh, Trinity Sunday. And um, it's uh, and today, in after, after church, when I meet with the kids... Um, the kids who went through my first communion class, they sit with me as we're eating our post-church snacks, and I open the Book of Concord, and we go through the Athanasian Creed together, and we talk a little bit about it, and this week they're going to read it, and they're going to come back to me with three things they wanted to point out to me. And so I'm starting, I'm starting them young on this. So that uh, the creed doesn't become oh the long one, eh. so that's that's awesome, man. God be praised that that you're doing that. That's awesome. So that yeah, sparks some interest in them in in what 
truth is. I mean, who who wants to? Because anything outside of Jesus is a lie, right? So sure. who's like, yeah, give me the lie. I like the lie. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people who like the comforting lies over the difficult truths, right? Yeah, well, and that's just it, man. Give me the hard truth rather than the sweet lie any day. You know, because you're not doing it. Okay, let's put it this way. If you got snot running down your nose, it is not loving to just let you go instead of whispering in your ear, hey, bro, you know, <laughs> you, you got something going on there. You know what I mean? Dude, it's uh, gross. Deal with it. <laughs> right, right. So to let you walk through a party or something, you know, and, and you're just looking a mess, you know, that's not the loving part. Oh, no, you look great, you know. <laughs> or or if you're good. about to walk off a cliff and two people are standing there, one guy says, yo, bro, cliff, stop. And the other guy says, it's a nice day. You know, yeah. which one do you want? Yeah, it's, well, our old Adam is going, well, always the one that that uh, sounds nice. Um, but it, the new man is going, no, dude, give me the hard truth because that's the only the only thing I can live by. So, yeah, well, and the cliff one only ends one way, you know, death. So yeah. you go the if you're not listening to the truth, you know, just like the truth of scripture, it's going to end in the second death, which is hell. And you know, that's not what that's not what we want. That's not what we're here for. We're here for the truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you know, revealed to these to us through these scriptures. Well, it's I said it to them on Friday. I had my second visit with Mormon missionaries, and um, by the way, I have found that uh, you can talk about the planets and spirit babies all you want. I'm decided, no, I'm not going to do that because it just shuts everything down. I'm going to talk to them in terms of Christology and scriptural witness. Just we, I can show you and I can prove that without going into their woo-woo stuff, that just their basic hermeneutic and uh, Christology is incomplete and it's it's incorrect. I mean, not incomplete, incorrect. And so I've been talking to them about it and being really nice and sharing the gospel with them. And whenever they come, I say, okay, we're back to my original question. Everybody should be Mormon because dot, 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 go. And I have them proclaim to me what the reason is. And then I and I turn around and I go, now, here's my turn. And they go, okay. Everybody in the world should be Missouri Synod Lutheran because the gospel. And the gospel is this. And I share with them the gospel and and how much, uh, you know, what it means to to receive forgiveness in a fallen world. And next thing I know, they have listened to me to preach the gospel to them for like 40 minutes. And I'm just going, so I'm just trying to tell you, give me a line to sign on if you've got something better than that. So tell me what you got. <clears throat> and then it just becomes really kind of abstract, but they just, they won't leave. They're coming back again. And so I'm just going, hey, this is great, man. And my son, who's 12 going on 13, is sitting there next to me going, wow, Papa, that was amazing. Yeah, God be praised for that. And, that, and that's just it. You know, the Spirit just keeps bringing them back to the truth. Because we confess that the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church and keeps it with Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So there's so much I could say on that, but for time's sake, I'm going to ask that we just uh, plow forward. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, I actually queued it up because I could see you segueing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we get into that. Let's <clears throat> let's take another road. Oh, it, let's split that one too. It's a half hour show, people. Sorry. Okay. So, <laughs> so Saint Paul continues in verse 14 to the end. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? <laughs> By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, These who are not my people I will call my people, and her who was not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of sons of Israel be as the sand in the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And Isaiah predicted, If the Lord of hosts had not let us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if we were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And to that end, I have this to say. Hold on, give me a second here. Uh, to that end, I have this. Well, at least I thought I did. Boom! I know. Right, I'll go. Boom! <laughs> there we go. Because, again, here we have... Uh, Hold on, let me just, uh, so we just went from uh, bad evangelical uh, eisegesis to now we're going to go to bad Calvinist eisegesis. So 
Guys, we're really not trying to destroy anybody here. Yeah, we can't destroy anything St. Paul already laid waste to, let's be honest. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, is we're not picking out a particular uh, group and picking on them personally. We're picking out bad doctrine and pointing you to what we believe and why. So, Pastor Hoffman, kick us off on... Uh, what what Paul is saying here and why Calvinists, because Cal, this is where Calvinists draw their doctrine of uh, some saved and some aren't. Well, how about this? First of all, he begins in verse 14 with the question, is there injustice on God's part? Meaning, is God somehow unjust? No. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. And as we're talking about God's will, um, it's to say that he is running on his own timeline. And now, uh, that's first of all, we have to say that fairness is not according to our fairness, but or just is according to God. So I have to get that out of the way, first of all, because St. Paul comes right out and says it. So we have to be clear that God is saying he's working according to his own means and not according to what a sinner will call just. So Yes, um, and, and the, the gospel part of that, for those of you who, who think you do something, St. Paul says in the next line, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Very See, good. it depends all on God. So it isn't about what you do, it's about what he does for you. Sweet. I know, and again, if our radio show was an hour long, we'd be dropping that bomb, like, you know, every few verses. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, um, but we had to at least get one air raid siren in. Um, but so we look at this, and, and God establishes that his mercy is done and it's it's done extra nose it's done outside of us so we're not that's not what we're looking for is our works but we rejoice in his mercy and so when we get to um we get to these people and like the as far as the double predestination thing goes once again if you skip over what he said to pharaoh then you can have double predestination all day like God made some people to burn in hell and other people to go to heaven. But when, when he says to Pharaoh, hey, um, left-handed kingdom, I raised you up. You know, he's the one who does that. And he raised up this bad person so that the word of God would be known to all the nations. Well, if you're, you're ascribing a left-handed thing to a right-handed if you start using these verses to say, oh, no, I meant for uh, Zach Lesher to go to paradise with Christ and Pastor Hoffman. Well, sorry about all your studying and your baptism and the Lord's Supper you received today and the holy absolution you received. But it just doesn't matter. So uh, his discussion uh, with Pharaoh totally negates that. 
Well, and let's not forget, too, spiritually, God gave Pharaoh uh, several chances to repent, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and hardened his heart, and hardened his heart, until God said, okay, that's it, your heart's hard, bye. You know, it's not like, that's what the whole plagues of Egypt were, you know, they were repentance opportunities. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, you don't want to just draw your doctrine from reading Paul here in Romans. You actually want to go back and read, you know, what is going on between Moses and Pharaoh in Exodus. Uh, and, and then harmonize what's actually happening here. Well... Sorry, man, you just said harden my heart to an Oregonian, so we have to play quarter flash because they're from <laughs> here. <laughs> and so, yeah, you have this this sense of, of um, telling Pharaoh, here's the deal. And you know what? God's word, um, the, where Pharaoh, because you remember, Pharaoh was in his own theology a god. And so the word of true, the true God is going to harden his heart because you know what? That doesn't leave room for Pharaoh to be God. And so the, the natural outpouring of wanting to be God is, well, one of us is going to, uh, was, we're going to butt heads and only one of us is going to walk away from this. Yeah, and that's what Paul is drawing on here in verse 20. But who are you, old man, to answer back to God? What he's doing is, is putting, you know, you back in your place. You are not God. I am not God. We are not God. You know, and we're born uh, with the same lie that the devil gave Adam when we fell into sin. You will be like God. So we all want to be our own God in our hearts before regeneration. And Paul here is like, no, dude, you're clay. Okay, and the potter will smash you if you keep resisting, 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 and resisting. Yeah. I will never forget Dr. Bierman in my, I had been in seminary for about 10 minutes, okay? So naturally I knew everything. And um, I, I read this passage in Romans, and I wrote a paper on it, and I said something like, Hey, yeah, um, so it says that God made some people here to be punished and some to be um, to be saved. And he wrote in big red letters, whoa, whoa. <laughs> he goes, you want to steer clear of that, my friend. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, it was so funny. I've still got that paper and uh, because I could hear the brakes slamming on in Dr. Bierman's classes. It's called Lutheran Mind. And um, 
It just cracked me up because I could see there was huge dents in the paper. He's pushing hard on that pen. <laughs> I, I'm ta- yeah, I'm taking it that was an A-plus work there. Oh, I uh, know. That, that's what we called a rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> see me after class. Oh, yeah. He was just like, whoa, slow down there, son. <laughs> well, and, and here's the key. Has endured with much patience vessels of wrath. How can you be a vessel of wrath when, when you know when it says that God is, has uh, uh, endured with much patience? Yeah, well, he doesn't do that to vessels of wrath. It's like it's like what what he says to what Peter says. Uh, it's either first or second Peter because there's only two of them. So <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that the Lord is is not slow to fulfill His promise to you but patient towards you not wishing any should perish but all should come to repentance yeah absolutely and that's uh um that's first peter and uh you have here now and again it's not an accident that even you know of all the things a potter can make and there's lots of things a potter can make and when he refers to a potter making a vessel he's saying what is your vessel filled with and it's filled with wrath well what is that that's the old adam right there and it's not like saint paul doesn't talk about the old adam well what is he filled up with well these are filled up with wrath dishonor and these ones here are filled with honor and um you just what you're doing is you're looking at the sinful people and the redeemed sinful people (laughs) so there's a there's a lot to be said about him choosing to say a vessel, something that you fill, and what is it filled with. So it's always the um, the interesting way to to uh, to look at these is is what analogies is Paul using? Exactly, and uh, you know it's well. I don't want to get into side things because we said we'd take the contemporary things. So. Is it okay if we jump to verse 30? Because if I keep going, we'll just keep going and go. We're like the Energizer Bunny here. We can just keep going and going. Well, verse 30 uh, is basically the end of this study in the sense that um, that he would dare say this, and it's going to offend Jewish people, but he's saying that the Gentiles that had faith are justified and righteous by that faith, not because they were Gentiles, but because of faith. And on the other hand, the Israel who thought they were being justified by their works and by their bloodline are absolutely not justified by that. And we should be clear on that. Yeah, and for clarification's sake, you know, if you read Philippians, uh, Paul was under the same spell of delusion that he was justified by his works. And he lays that out in Philippians, you know, all his credentials. And he's like, yeah, I count all this as rubbish, scubula, mm-hmm. uh, that I may be found in Christ, you know. So he tosses everything aside so that he can be found by faith in Christ also with the rest of us yep. Gentiles, us dirty pig-eating Gentiles. And we're so nice to translate scubula as 
um, refuse when Rubbish, actually yes. it's the uh, it's what comes out of the south end of a northbound cow. <laughs> <laughs> cow pie. Yeah. So um, for for our hillbilly friends, that's cow pie. Yeah, that's that's the the swirly looking emoji. That's not a, a Hershey's kiss. <laughs> yeah, don't eat that. Yeah, that is not anything you want. So it is actually excrement. Um, and so now here's something now from the group and something that some people want to cause drama over. But here we filter out the drama because that is wasteful in our time. And when we look here, the, the question was talking about um, contemporary worship. And, uh, and it's interesting because... <clears throat> You know, when people get into the argument, which they always, I always see people arguing it the wrong way. First of all, they argue it as a matter of law, and they argue against it for some reason as a matter of gospel, which makes me laugh. I mean, against uh, our liturgical worship or Lutheran worship. Um, but Jorge Rodriguez puts in the group saying, you know, with uh, modern and contemporary worship, um, he says that comes with it uh, a sense of mysticism. And to be clear on that, he is he's right. Um, and revivalism. Let's add what, what all isms are in there. Right. Revivalism. Um, whenever, you, whenever worship has changed from God proclaiming, um, convicting, God forgiving... His children to um, what the church does to jazz up their uh, their their worship, what the church does to excite their members, what evokes emotional response, and as an emotional response, bringing you closer to God. If that's not mysticism, I don't know what is. The same is true with revivalism. So um, even Francis Pieper. Um, counts the people that uh, that were uh, changing the liturgy to be revivalistic because remember that's that's his time. Um, uh, I'm do sorry. you want to quote people real quick? Do, you, do we have time? Yeah, to I have quote it right Pieper? here. I have it right here. He calls it schism, and and he says, and this is what I like about him. By the term schism, we mean <laughs> we mean a division in the church which God's word does not enjoin but which is begun by men for carnal reasons and therefore is sinful, a separation because of differences in church customs, church terms, order of worship, etc. In practice, it is important to distinguish between schismatics acting from spite and schismatics acting from weakness in Christian knowledge and prejudice. Such, however as separate from a church body because it tenaciously clings to false doctrine, are unjustly called schismatic separatists, etc. This separation is commanded in Scripture, Romans 16, 17, and is the only means of restoring and maintaining the true unity in the Christian church. So, and you mentioned the revivalism. You know, any time that somebody says that the liturgy first of all it's not white and german because our liturgy is middle eastern in its history and african in its history so um german worship looks a lot more like dancing around 
waving your hands, screaming, um, because Germans were pagans prior to being Christians. And so <clears throat> when we look at when we look at the Christian worship, Peeper points out that people who are saying, well, our worship isn't good anymore because it doesn't speak to the kids or to my generation. What you're saying is the gospel proclamation, which is clear in the liturgy, in the historic liturgy, is no longer efficacious, but rather not God's word, but my works in jazzing up and getting people excited is actually the new sacrament. And that's not good. And you know what? A lot of times as Lutherans, we get charged with being cold and callous for doing things in good order according to the liturgy, to which I respond, good. <laughs> because then I, I am not having an emotional response. I am not having any form of inward, uh, you know, incurvatus type leanings towards anything i'm just hearing the pure and undulterated word of god and responding back with a faithful confession of yes i'm guilty of sin yes i believe in the lord jesus christ yes i have been baptized yes i confess this creed you know i believe these things and this is all by the spirit so when they're like you're cold and callous i'm like well that's a good thing yeah i mean it's good they're saying now, by the way, the ad hominem, which you are 100% correct on, of, of people calling us cold and callous is rather, I think it's an ad hominem, because they're, what they're saying is, I disagree with what the church has done for 2,000 years, so because you hold to that and I don't like it, you're a poo-poo head. Yeah, you big duty face. Or what you hear a lot is, you guys are too religious. And then I say, well, what do you mean by that? Let's define religion. And their face freezes because they, they just regurgitated something they had heard. Yeah. And they have no clue what they actually just said. And then they met their match when they, they came up against somebody with some knowledge to challenge their claim. So I encourage everybody to, you know, have a have an argument prepared. Now, what, what the, our liturgy follows the Old Testament all the way through, you know, the book of Acts. It's not like we accidentally put this together one day. <laughs> uh, our Lutheran fathers were great at understanding the scriptures, and they did, you know, everything according to what scripture said. So some of these things are not audiophora or audiophora, but rather, you know, the book of Concord was written in the text of people understood this. You know what I mean? So, um, what they mean by audio for when they use the term in the confessions is if your pastor, you know, wears a different alb or, or whatever vestment colors, those sorts of things, yeah. not changing the liturgy. Well, Charles Arend, uh, one of my systematic professors wrote in the Concordia journal, an article entitled, not all audiophoras created equal. And I recommend anybody who wants to be better informed on the discussions of Adiaphora to look at that, download it, and so that you don't just come off saying Adiaphora means I can just throw it away. And um, but what it also for good order, as as Zach has already said, is something that has a history in the Bible of worship being of good order. 
and also worship being a confession of who God is. Now, if you want to go listen to, you know, your favorite music or whatever, great, go for it. We already did a thing on heavy metal. It also works for other music. But when you're in worship, be there for why you're there. Don't be there for another reason just so that you can put up with God or whatever. It's to say that, you know, you don't change worship because you go, well, it wasn't as exciting as the uh, as the Molly Hatchet concert I went to. Well, what you're getting at Molly Hatchet is not the same thing. So quit trying to smash them together. And I don't know why I chose Molly Hatchet, but whatever. Yeah, let's do one quick example of uh, Adi Afra. And uh, so... When I'm working out, you know, I wear a tank top and, and shorts, right? But I wouldn't show up to my best friend's wedding that way. You know, don't show up to church that way. Because what you're doing is you're making confession, you know, by what by what you're wearing and your 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 body language and, and everything else. It's it's making a confession, everything you do. So, you know, if you wouldn't show up to your best friend's wedding that way, why would you show up in the presence of the Lord like that, you know, without any reverence or, or whatnot? And, you know, I'm not trying to make a law where there is no law, but I think people are smart enough to draw the distinction of what I'm saying as far as respect and reverence um, towards God. And this is the thing. He set us free so we can do those things. Right. So we can love him from a pure heart and, and have this reverence and respect for him. So... Yeah, we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater when people think, okay, Adiaphora, I can do whatever. You know, yeah. let's let's get a clown and drums and all this. No, 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 that's not church. That's that that's like what we do at Chuck E. Cheese, not yeah. not uh, the Lutheran Church. So yeah, you really are a dad, aren't you? Yeah, there's, I am. There... <laughs> because you know that you're right, and um, if you know the gospel, and I'll say this again, if you know the gospel then you're not going to look at, at um, dressing nice for church as being uh, a drag or this kind of stuff. It's to say that, you know what, I'm free to do this. And, you know, God is God is very special. And in a wedding, it's a wedding, not a barbecue. And so uh, that, you know, that kind of stuff, You because when people ask me, hey, pastor, how should people dress for church? I always say, you know what? Truth be told, so I don't create a law, I am going to say they should dress well according to their means. So I'm not saying go and go and put money on your credit card that you can't afford, you know, stuff like that. But I'm also saying, you know, you're coming looking like you were just in a horrible motorcycle accident either is, you know, something to think about, too. Let me say one more thing is I have a friend and he was an unbeliever or, you know, he had very, very, very little to no faith. I, I didn't know. And he would show up to church because I would invite him, you know, wearing hats and T-shirts and, you know, ripped jeans. But that's the thing. If you're like that, if your faith is like that, come as you are. Christ will conform you. Uh, so... I more than welcome him to show up like that because I'd rather have him there like that than not have him there at all. Agreed. The word of God will change him. And within a couple <laughs> months, he's not wearing the hat. You know, he's wearing khakis, whatever. It's not like I'm doing an assessment on his wear, but I'm trying to compare this to 
contemporary and liturgical service. One is definitely the hat and ripped jeans, while the other is a, a reverence and, and order uh, according to the gospel. Yeah, milk not meat at some point before. That's right, and and it seems like the ones pushing for the contemporary need more meat. And and I say this out of love because this is an ongoing battle in the church. And you know why why do we want to get because uh, the liturgy has everything gospelly centered. You know mm-hmm. why do we want to get rid of that for practices of mysticism and revivalism that are subjective to experience and pagan practices. I agree. Um, well, you know what? We have uh, we have more than run out of time. So <laughs> I think I think this is going to be an epic podcast, podcast 11. Um, I hope that we uh, I hope that we were able to bring some good stuff out of uh, Romans 9. I love Romans 9. So, you know, against the double pre predestination and against the idea of that um that god is somehow unjust that it's a gospel chapter and uh, and also on contemporary worship so it's not an ad hominem that they're a bunch of poopoo heads it's to say you know look at why you're wanting to do this and make sure that it jives with the history and the witness of scripture and oftentimes if you're honest with yourself you'll say, well, you know, the liturgy is actually amazing for that. But with that being said, and that's all the time we have for this week, um, I want to thank everybody who listens, and I'd like to thank my co-host, Zach. Um, Take us out, Zach. Thank you, Pastor Hoffman. You're great. Um, Everybody, uh, if you have any questions on anything we're saying, post them in the group. We'll be happy to get to it. And God's blessings to your weeks.